We're going to be in our second uh, I guess part of our journey through the book of James. So if you want to turn to James 1. When I uh, lived in Montana, I had the chance to go elk hunting uh, with a friend of mine. And I was like a newbie at all this elk hunting stuff. And it was pretty fascinating. And, but I remember standing at a base of a mountain and... And I had my binoculars, and I was looking in the mountains, and he goes, all right, he, and he was looking through his binoculars, and, and he said, all right, there's the elk right there. And I was like, where? And he would tell me, and I would try to keep looking through my binoculars like, I, I don't see any elk. And, and he said, they're right there this, by this, you know, left of this tree or whatever. You see that? And I said, yeah, you see, you see this little draw? Yeah. He said, it's just to the the right of that draw, and so I'm looking, and I cannot see no elk whatsoever in the mountain. And he goes, hey, he said, try my glasses. And so I grabbed his binoculars, and I looked, and I was like, oh, shoot, there's elk. And um, I had, like, Fisher-Price um, binoculars compared to his. He had, like, really high-dollar, really nice binoculars that a real hunter would have if, when they go out and, um, to hunt elk in the mountains. And me, I just had like some cheap Olas. You know, I'm a cheapskate anyway, so I probably bought on Amazon because I love Amazon. And, um, but uh, I didn't have the right lens. I couldn't see what I was wanting to see. And, and so many times uh, when we look at Scripture or we evaluate or consider being a Christ follower, we have to have um, the right lens by which we look through to interpret um, those things and, and to be able to extract the thing that God desires for us to extract out of Scripture. And you got to understand James, and, and this would be a little review, but I think it's worth looking back at. James was what's right to who? The, the dispersia, uh, dispersed Jews that were being persecuted because of their faith. And we, no, we noted that last week we talked about they were being persecuted, first of all, for, for being Jews by the Romans or the Greeks, and then also they were being persecuted by their own um, Jewish people because they were being Christ followers. And because of that, they started dispersing throughout the regions and everything else. And, and you can only imagine this was a brand new movement. You know, Jesus just came on the scene. Um, he did his work that, that he accomplished. And yet, this, this whole thing was, was a whole new concept. And so what James was doing in this book, he's basically giving an overview of Christian living to a people who understood Old Testament Scripture, or they were around people who understood Old Testament Scripture. But he was saying, hey, you're going to have to look through the Old Testament passage through the finished work and through the, the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so it was all brand new. And he was, and even, we'll see that even James himself, not till after the, the resurrection, that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because here's what happened, is that because people had a, an idea of which they thought that the Messiah should be, that when Jesus came onto the scene and he revealed himself to who he was, a lot of people stared him right in the face and they missed him because they had the wrong set of lens by which they were looking at him. Does that, does that make sense? And, um, and so, so many times when we, there's a, there's a principle, and I'm, I'm, getting where, I'm getting somewhere with this. There's a principle in that, that we today in this, in our day of time in which we have 
the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible, that we have to interpret Scripture through the whole context of Scripture. And that is with the stories of Jesus through the Synoptic Gospels and, and the Paul's teachings. And, and James has to be evaluated with Paul's teachings. Paul's has to be evaluated through James' teachings. All, all their teachings, Peter's teachings, has to be evaluated through the, through the, the Gospels. And, they, and they're all tearing, telling one narrative of the story of Jesus. And even the Old Testament was nothing more than a humongous arrow that was pointing to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so there's a, there's a word for that that they study in seminaries called hermeneutics. Um, it's a big word. Nothing means nothing more than interpreting Scripture with Scripture. But the big concept, guys, is I want you to understand is like, guys, we have got to look at what it means to be a Christ follower through, this, through the lens, through the correct lens of Scripture in the life of Jesus. Well, and, I, and I know what you're thinking, like, well, is there any other? No, well, yeah, there's plenty of other. There's your life experience. You know, there's false teaching. Um, there's a, there's a, a false sense of, of what, who God is. And, and, that can, and Satan himself is a deceiver, and he's going to do anything else, anything he can to, to distort that view of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so tonight, I want to look at, continue to look at uh, James 1. And, um, and we have been entrusted with the whole counsel of God. And so we're going to continue on that journey. So let's start in verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Now granted, when we read that, why did James say that? Well, remember, they were under persecution, right? And so the persecution came about verbally. It came about Physically, and, and a lot of it came about economically. We can't trade or, or, or ha have commerce, then you're, you know, you're starving to death. And so there was a lot of, of uh, people who were <laughs> rich because they were going behind the scenes and conniving and everything else. And so James said, hey, let those who are poor or lowly, boasting his alsatian. Let's move on. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Basically what James is saying, hey, don't give in to the temptation of, of you know, conniving or, or, or backstabbing or anything else that some of these other Jewish people were doing for the sake of, of, of money. So, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. In verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. So as James was teaching on the life of the believer, he dealt with the issue in this passage with, with, about temptation. So the despoiled Jews were being tempted to forsake their faith because of the persecution, but whether you're being tempted to forsake your faith 
or by any particular sin, temptation takes the same path. And I want to talk about that path tonight. I want to talk about four, four um, this like road, blocks from the road that, that, that we encounter if we're going to go down the path of temptation. And number one is this, is desire. It's desire. Y'all know we were created with desire, right? How many of y'all get hungry? Y'all get hungry? How many of y'all like McDonald's? We got one. We got two. We got three. We got four. We got a very few. All right, I'm not a big McDonald's fan. You know, anything like, all right, so I'm a, I'm a you know, we, middle, a middle-aged man. I got kids and everything. Cornbread was in here a little while ago, and, and every now and then, he lo- he's the only one in the family that'll do McDonald's. Micah and Kaylin, they don't like it. And so every now and then, we'll go to McDonald's, and, and Cornbread will drop a fry, you know, in his seat or down on the floor or something like that. We got a minivan, and it's, it, it's a, actually, it's a McDonald's fry hoarder. And, um, and so every now and then, we'll find that fry months and years, maybe, later, and that fry looks exactly the same that when we bought it that day. That scares me. There's no green on it, no rot. But you know what? As bad as I, as much as I don't like McDonald's, McDonald's is right there. And so I can go outside on the south side of the camp, church campus and I can smell it. And when I'm hungry, it actually smells good. And so God created us with desire. When we, we have a desire to eat. We have a desire to sleep. But look at verse 16. It says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So the desire itself is not inherently bad. It's basically what we do with those desires that makes them good or bad. Because even when God created Adam and Eve, and we'll talk about them here in a few minutes, He created them with desires But it's just a matter of what they did with those desires. So every good gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, But here's the deal. God created with you desires, and they're natural, but somebody else knows that as well. And he uses that desire as a tactic to be able to tempt you to sin. And that's who do you think that is? Satan, right? He knows that. He knows that you have um, those desires, so he tempts you with your own desire um, to sin. And let me try to illustrate it in this way, because the Scripture says that, that God, let, let, in verse 13 it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we got to be able to differentiate between the, the, the desire and the temptation because Scripture says that God doesn't tempt you, right? But you have a desire by which Satan tempts you. And so we got to be able to differentiate. How many of y'all want to pass your classes this quarter? All right? I mean, that would be kind of a dumb question or a dumb answer to say that you didn't want to, Right? We all want that GPA. We all need to pass that class. That desire to want to pass that class, that, that's a good thing, right? That's a great thing. But it's the means by which you pass that class. Because the temptation comes when, 
when the, or the temptation comes when you're tempted to cheat to be able to pass that class. Does that make sense? And so the desire is in the test, or equate the desire with the test, but equate the, the temptation is about the route by which you want to acquire or achieve the destination by which you want to go to. Does that make sense? Okay? All right, so Satan knows that, and he lures us with our own, um, our own desires. So you were created to have rest, naturally. I mean, I, I get grumpy when I get sleepy, and like, it never fails. Like, I'm getting in the bed, and like, I mean, we, and let me tell you, when you get kids to bed, it feels like you conquered Mount Everest every night, all right? It's like you, you accomplished, and you're so you're exhausted. And, um, and then when I get in the bed, I'm the one of those guys that I can sleep through a storm. I, can, I mean, it does, nothing bothers me. When I lay my head on the pillow, I'm out. And then, but it never fails. I lay my head on my pillow, and my wife goes, let's talk. <laughs> I'm like, no, you know. <laughs> I'm tired. But God made us where we were, we need rest, but the temptation is, is to become lazy. Okay? God made us where we want food, and the temptation is gluttony. I can't figure out if bluebell ice cream is of the devil or is angelic, all right? Because the angelic side of it is when, you know, maybe if I have a bowl once in a while, but the devil side of it is when I have multiple bowls throughout the week and, or maybe multiple bowls a night, all right? And so we got to differentiate that. And let me, let me just go off on a tangent, but I think it's worth going off because it's something that you guys are dealing with. But just think about sex. All right, I remember years back when I was a college pastor, I was teaching a series, and I said that sex was worship. And, like, I just had some mouths drop. Like, oh, I can't believe he said that. And I mean, they just, like, they couldn't believe that. And, and they said that. But yet, sex within the context by which God created it in, it pleases him. And so that is worship, Right? If it wasn't worship, then why did the pagans use that act to worship the pagan gods? And so the desire is there. God initially created that desire for multiple reasons, but it is the, when we take it out of its context by which we sin, right? So the temptation is the route or the, the belief or the, how, how the world and Satan distorts that view of that topic. Okay? All right, so... So the desire is there, and Satan tempts us with our own desire, and he tempts us by, number two, is deception. Satan uses our own desires to deceive us to believe something that necessarily isn't true. And I want us to take a, a brief journey to Genesis 3, and we're going to get a glimpse at Satan's tactic, tactic by which he deceived Adam and Eve. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And she added a little something there. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, or you will not surely die. For God knows that if you eat of it, that your eyes will be open, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when God, or when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. There's so much things, or so much principles that we can extract from that passage. But, but did God, did Adam and Eve have a desire to eat? Yes. So what did Satan use? He used food. Did God, in the, did God create Adam and Eve to grow intellectually? I, I believe so. So what did he use? He used knowledge and power to tempt in Adam and Eve. And, but here's the deception. What did Satan tell Eve? He said that the moment that you eat of the fruit, you will be like God, right? But who did God create in his own image? Man, right? Now, we weren't equivalent to God, but we were already like God before Satan deceived Eve to the fact that, that she could be like God if she would eat of the, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And so he uses our own desires, and he twists it, and he distorts it, and he makes it sound like it's something that it's not. And guys, that's no different than what happens with us nowadays. I mean, whether it's money, or whether it's uh, sex, or whether it's, uh, or whether it's our, our power, or our jobs, and everything else, there's always going to be some sort of temptation for you to take a, some sort of shortcut, or do something with a lack of integrity, or, or maybe, to, um, <coughs> maybe a lack of character. And there's always going to be that temptation there. And he uses your own desires, but he's going to deceive it and twist it and turn it into something. And that's what he uses to lure us. Guys, John 10.10, 10, it says, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he will do so by distorting every desire that you have. I had a buddy of mine tell me this morning that he got saved when he was 21 years old. And he said, Justin... That means Satan had 21 years to learn my patterns, to learn where I am tempted, to learn where I am weak. And he knows every angle to hit me with assault, with temptation. You know, it's funny, we think about uh, all the social medias today. You know, we think about Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and everything else that's collecting all this data to know where they to direct their advertisements to and know what you're interested in. And they're using this data. Satan's doing the same thing. He's collecting all this data to know to how to, 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 to <laughs> attack you. And, and so he's going to try to do everything he can to deceive you with the data that he has, knowing your life. I like to fish. Now, I don't get to fish as much as I like to, would like to, but... I like fishing. I like catching a, um, a bass and every now and then. I love to eat white perch. But, you know, it's so funny how, you know, these, these baits that we use do nothing more than to entice a fish to um, entice them with their own desire to eat. 
And it's got that, that pretty little spinner on it that, 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 that gets their attention, you know, like, boom, you know, there's, there's something there. And then all of a sudden, this thing has like a little uh, skirt on it that kind of flithers, or I don't know what the word I'm looking for, through the, through the water. But yet it has a hook in it. And it but it uses that, that's the fish's desire to lure that, him to the, and to bite that hook and so that we can reel it in. I like to turkey hunt. I like, to, I like to use my turkey calls and to, 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 to sound like a hen so I can call in that, that, that tom or that gobbler. But yet, it's the own desires by which they come in and that are lured. It's deception that brings them in. In the same way that, that they're deceived, Satan uses deception to give us or deceive us. And here's the third thing. When we give in to temptation, it leads us to disobedience. And if I was to define in my own words what disobedience is, it's nothing more than moral chaos. Because God created everything for order. And you know, what God created it was what? Good. But it wasn't until sin disrupted God's economy that we start seeing a sense of moral chaos. I mean, it wasn't long. It was what? Adam and Eve, but then it was Cain and Abel. So, when we buy into the deception and give in to sin, our actions conflict with God's original intent and it disrupts our standing with God. And this will lead to confusion. That's why we got, I mean, I was asking my son the other night, he's 12 years old, I'm trying to prepare him for which the world that he is about to have to live in. And I said, Micah, I said, what is absolute truth? And he was like, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, what is, what is truth? Everybody says they have the truth. Like, what, where does it come from? Where does it derive from? You know, and I was trying to teach him that it has to come from somewhere. If it just comes out of nowhere, then, then we, we, we live in a world that's very relative. Then we don't know what is truth. So we believe that truth comes from Scripture. And that he gives us the ability to be able to discern what that is through that scripture. But, but if you don't have that, it leads to confusion. It leads to emptiness. That's how, why we got people chasing anything and everything to try to fulfill um, their lives, which leads to an endless search for fulfillment. But here you, we got James, who we believe is writing to the life of the believer. And he says that you can't, as a believer, enjoy sin when you disobey. You can't enjoy it. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come in and start <laughs> riding you hard about the act that you, which you are committing. Just about the time you start to enjoy sin as a believer, God starts to chastise, starts to, to discipline you. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, Because the Lord disciplines those the the one he loves, and he chastises everyone he accepts as his, as his son. You, guys, y'all know that's, that is one really sign of, of being a believer, is that you experience the chastisement of the Holy Spirit? That's a really good indication. I mean, there's, there's more than that, but that's, that's a great indicator that, you're, that you are of God's. Because why? Because he's not going to discipline those that, that are not his. I remember when I was a little kid, my dad, I mean, we were kind of old school. My dad was kind of, I mean, who was in here? Who in here was the other day when I called John Boy on the phone? All right, you were in here. So my, my stories are true, aren't they? Yes. Okay. 
All right, my story to validate. Well, I had a friend over at my house one time when I was a little kid, and, um, and we were shooting the cows with the BB gun and, and the booty because it's funny. They would jump, you know, when you shoot them. And my dad called us, and he tore my tail up, but he sent the other boy home. And, and I asked him, I was like, well, Dad, I got my tail tore up. I'm like, why didn't he get his? He goes, son, he's not mine. I'll let his parents deal with him. And so that's a good indication that we are children of God when we are, in, uh, when we are chastised by the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's the thing, guys. There's a level of arrogance when it comes to deliberate sin in the believer's life. You reach a whole level of arrogance. And why do I say that? It's because that's when you start admitting that you have a better way than God's way for your life. When you continue down a road of deliberate sin, you're saying, God, my way is better than your way. And guys, I know this sounds kind of sacrilegious, but, but I think it's a, a worthy illustration. And I heard one person say, when you continue down habitual sin, not repentive, it's almost as if you're throwing your middle finger up to God and saying, God, I got this. That sounds pretty harsh, but it's true. But guys, here's the thing, is that a believer will eventually become under conviction of sin that he or she is not aware of, but if you continue down that road, that's when the chastisement starts to incur. But here, a new believer it becomes convicted of sin that he or she may not be aware of. But somebody who is mature and who is tempted and disobeys, they're on the other side of conviction. And that's a dangerous place. That is a dangerous place when you get on that side of conviction. But discipline, but here, here's the good news, guys. But discipline, it sounds like a harsh thing. A chastisement, it sounds like a harsh thing. You know, when my, my mom and dad asked me, do you want a spanking? I thought it was the most stupidest question you ever asked me. Like, yeah, I prayed for one last week, you know. <laughs> and discipline doesn't sound good for the moment, but yet it is part of his work of grace in our lives that he brings us back into alignment to his will and his way and the plan that he has for us. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the good news of the, whole, <laughs> of the whole chastisement is that we are his children and he desires better for us and he wants to have a better way for our lives. The other alternative of disobedience is death. And that's the last D. Number four. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah, we will all experience physical death in here. None of us are not going to make it out alive. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to die one day. And, and death is real, especially when you go to a funeral. You start realizing, hey, this is a real thing. You know, I had a roommate in college at Mississippi State, and and we uh, had this old TV. It was like this big, but like, all right, no, it was about this big, but the screen was like this big. That's like the way it was back in the old days. Right, Mr. Mike? And you had a lot of furniture and, and a little screen. 
But you had to change the channel with a button that you had to push up and down, and the remote didn't work for some reason. And so my buddy rigged up a, 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 a redneck remote, and it was a broomstick, and he had to duct tape a, an extra piece of wood that would, would reach the TV, and he could sit at a recliner and push the buttons. And so one day, I was actually sitting in my it was I had an old puke green recliner, and he had one that was uglier than mine. And I don't know, we found them at the dumpster or something, I don't know. But I was sitting in my puke green recliner, and I was sitting there studying, and, and William didn't study that much, but he was flipping through the channels and, uh, with his remote. And, and, and it just randomly, randomly, he looked at me, he said, you know what, Shipley? And I said, what's that? He said, ain't none of us going to make it out here live. And he kept on flipping channels. I was like, where <laughs> Where did that come from? And what did I do? I just got up and stepped over his remote and went in the kitchen and got me something to drink. But since original sin, everyone has to experience the physical death. But look in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, the death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all has sinned. Now, he's talking about physical death, but he's also talking about spiritual death. It's total separation from God as well. But guys, the death goes way beyond the physical death. You know, dying physically is not the worst part. You know, I, one thing I've said here, here recently through this pandemic thing, and I mean, I guess I'm entitled to my opinion, but like, Dying is not, doesn't scare me. It's, it's, it's not living what scares me. And guys, it could be sin can bring death to, to God's will for your life. You know, it could bring death to dreams and ambitions that God has instilled in you. But because we continue to give in to temptation, that, that squelches those things or it severs those things. I've seen... Marriages that die because of sin. I've seen relationships between family members that, that die because of sin. And so death goes way beyond the physical, the physical death. But it could be the death of, of the will of God that, that he has for your life. The plans, the, 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 the purpose for your life. And so... James clearly teaches that any other way than God's way will lead to unnecessary endings. So whether you're an unbeliever, eternal death, that will be an unnecessary hell to pay, and why? Because of the, you, but, and here, here's the deal. We, have, we can have these unnecessary endings because of our sin, and then if we're an unbeliever, we can, we'll have to pay an unnecessary hell but why is it unnecessary? It's just because in that passage, same passage, Romans 5, if you go on down to verse 18, it says, Therefore, just as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and that life for all men. You get it? One trespass. It was Adam and Eve's trespass that, that led us to, to the, the path of death. But it was one man's act of righteousness, and that's Jesus. His, his life, his death, and his resurrection gives us life. Guys, if you got your Bibles, go to Genesis 3 and hold your, your fingers 
between your cover of your Bible and Genesis 3. Do it real quick. And, I, and then and I want you to take your other hand and hold the rest of your Bible. It took that much for humanity to screw it up, and it took the rest of your Bible for, the, for God to make it all right. You know, if there was a t-shirt, it would be humanity. Been screwing it up since the beginning of time. But it was one man's act of righteousness that gives us the grace by which we need, not just for salvation, but Christian living, for sanctification. And it brings life to where there's, there once was death. And so he goes on to say, For as by one man's disobedience there were many were made sinners. Your mom and dad were sinners. They made you your sinner. And it says, by one man's act of righteousness, or one man's obedience, m- many will be made righteous. And going back to the James passage in verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creation or his creatures. What does he mean by that? Is that when we're made righteous through the act of, of Jesus Christ, of the finished work of Christ. And when, with James, again, if we're looking at Christian living, you have to view it through the work of Jesus Christ, right? I don't want to sound redundant, but it's, so, it's such a truth that's so profound. And so, because of his righteousness, God can look on us and see the first fruits of his creation. He can look on us and see us as if we're we were what we intended, what he intended to be. Y'all get that? Because here's the thing is, guys, guys, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he no longer sees us in our sin, but yet he sees the righteousness of his own son, and he says it's satisfied. That's why when, when Christ was crucified, and when it was all said and done, when he died, he says that he said, it is finished, it says the wrath of God was satisfied. In that work, in the death of Christ. So, I'm going to close with this. As we put our trust in Jesus and allow the Spirit to come take residence, then James' message of Christian living will eventually come to light in our lives. So, through our transformation, ultimately our life should be just living billboards for the gospel. That's going to be the end result of that. Because you know why? Because I can tell you about all the ways I messed up, but I can tell you about all the ways how Jesus has come through. And because of that, I become a testimony. We'll be washed by, or we'll be redeemed by our testimony. And that our testimony is in Jesus Christ that He loved us and He forgave us and He, and he saved us from our sin. And He wants us to have a life. And in him. So I'm going to ask you, ask you to do something a little unorthodox tonight that we don't usually do. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Because I want you to contemplate yourself. Because the reality of it is we all got to answer to God as individuals. And so I think it's great sometimes to evaluate ourselves individually. Guys, I can't, I'm not the one that can ever tell you if you're saved or not, but the Spirit can. He's a really good judge. If you have never trusted 
your eternity, your life here on this earth with Jesus, I, I beg that you would do that. I ask that you would ask God to forgive you of your sin and give you a life in him and to follow him. But guys, maybe you're a believer and you're being deceived by some of the lies that Satan is throwing at you. I want to encourage you tonight that God's got a bigger and better plan for you and to, get, and to, to allow you to and allow your own desires to be tempted and to give in to sin. And so, guys, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, just ask God to forgive you. Ask him, just tell him that you want to follow him and then for him to give you new life. And guys, I just want to encourage you believers to continue to put your faith and trust in his way and his will because he has a better way for us. Dear God, I just pray, guys, we wrap this time up, God, that you will work on us individually as you see fit. God, nothing is hidden from you. You have a window to our heart and to our life. And Holy Spirit, you know how to speak to it. So Lord, I just pray that we have been challenged by the, your word. God, I just pray that we would just open our lives up to your word and allow it to be the indication of who we are in you. So Lord, I just pray that you will continue to do a work. God, through this last song, God, through the fellowship of the saints, and I just pray if there's anyone here tonight who's never put their faith and trust in your act of obedience, your act of righteousness, God, that you will, that they will do so here tonight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.